our series of studies on the letters that Christ, the risen Christ, wrote to his, the churches in the book of the Revelation. At the beginning of the book of the Re Revelation, the seven churches, each of them, he has a, a, a diagnosis for them of their spiritual condition, and then he has some advice for them in that way. Now, next week, uh, when it's the graduation, I will, there'll be a break from this, and we'll be speaking on something uh, appropriate to the families and friends that will be gathered here on that occasion. But the week, or the next time I'm back, I mustn't be presumptuous, we'll continue and finish off this series. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn through the last book in the Bible, the book of the Revelation. And may I just say while you're turning to it, I, I don't, I'm going to recommend a book, if I may. It's not, I haven't written a book yet. My book's going straight to film. At the moment, we're not sure whether Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt are playing me, but one of them. Anyway, there's a little, this little book, I, I, had, I had used to have a lot of books, but I've kept this one. It's called The Church Overcomes, A Guided Tour Through the Book of Revelation by Richard Buse, who used to be at Old Souls Langham Place. So if you wanted just a little introduction to the book of the Revelation, it's quite a challenging book. I've got to tell you now, there's bits of it I can't make head and tail of. So this is a little book that will just help you maybe is an introduction. So it's Richard Buse, The Church Overcomes. Um, this one is quite old. Um, I'm, I don't know if it's even reprinted. But Google it, see if you can find it. It's quite a, be a helpful book if you wanted to start. The, the titles that I've given to each of the churches, for example, the Thyatira tonight is the Polluted Church. And then later on, Sardis is the Dying Church. Those titles I've taken from this book. Not the message, but the titles have come from this. So it's a good little book to have. So don't be frightened of the book of the Revelation, but this will give you a help and get you started. Okay, thank you. So let me read, if I may, from, I'm looking for my glasses and on my nose. Um, um, Revelation chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 18. Now, it's quite a long reading, uh, so please uh, bear with my reading, if you may. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like burning fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have something against you. You tolerated that woman, Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and to eating food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learnt Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose on any other burden on you, only hold on to what you have until I come. To him that overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations." To him who overcome and I'll get authority of the nations, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them into pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. To he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. 
to the churches. Now, there's quite a lot there. I'm hoping that we will have time to look at um, Sardis, but if we don't, that's fine. Uh, we won't take advantage. Again, we have now, we're now at the fourth letter. Um, that, uh, pardon me, not the fourth letter. We come to the church at Thyatira. Pardon me, I'm, my numbers are out of sync here. Um, and it, it, we have a similar pattern on each of them as we've seen. Jesus, first of all, at the beginning of this letter, as I mentioned last week, when I was in school, and I did go to school, I went to, listen to this. Are you ready to be impressed? Stanhope Secondary Modern School for Boys in Greenford. They demolished it when I left. I don't know why, but that's where it went. That's my school. But one thing I do remember about writing a letter they always have to have a framework you write a letter. Forgive me repeating, top right-hand corner, uh, address, phone number, etc. And then over the other side, we have the date, then you put dear, whoever. And at the bottom, it's either you, you're sincere or use faithfully with your name. There was a pattern to it. And Christ had a similar pattern to his letters. Now, emails are completely different, as you will know. But I'm very, very, very old. So the, uh, Jesus had a similar pattern. He begins with an identification of himself. It's always important to know who's writing the letter because it's the one who writes the letter that gives that letter authority. So if you get a letter from me, you might, oh, it's only Gordon. But if you get a letter from Boris Johnson, it's only, Bo no. <laughs> but you know, it's the prime minister. You may pay more attention to that. So we have here that Jesus will always identify himself. And his idea is this. These are the words of the Son of God. Okay, straight away identification, the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So he's now identifying himself, as I did last week, with what was seen by John in Revelation 1. So in Revelation 1, the white hair, the, the sword, etc. Unbelievable picture of the, not only the risen Christ, but the ascended Christ, the enthroned Christ, the ruling Christ. And so Jesus says, look, so you're in no doubt who's writing to you. I am the one that John saw in chapter 1. And his eyes were blazing like fire. Of course, this is important because that speaks about Jesus' penetrating eyesight. He's able to look at the church and understand what's happening. I would not dare to attempt to give a diagnosis of this church, even though I come regularly and I'm getting to know some of you quite well. I thank you for your welcome. It's forgotten you don't know us. You can't pass judgment on us. Not that I'd want to pass judgment on you anyway. But Jesus does because he has the eyes of blazing fire. And so we find that that is identification. Then he comes with a commendation. He comes with a word of encouragement to him. We find this in verse 19. He says, I know your deeds. Now listen to this commendation. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. Wow. Wasn't that lovely to be called that? And then he says, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. If you remember the first letter we looked at, Jesus was saying, go back to the beginning and start again. You know, you've lost your first love. You're not doing what you used to do. Go back and do what you used to do. This church don't need to go back. In fact, they're doing more than they used to do. And I thought, well, what a wonderful testimony. What a church to belong to. If it stopped there, I'd want to be a member of this church. 
But he doesn't stop there. That's the commendation. That's what Jesus is saying good about them. But of course, there was going to be a problem. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your perseverance. You're doing more than you did at first. I stand back and I go, what a church. But then, of course, there's a word of correction that follows. And they had a problem. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, we now move into a very unusual sphere. Uh, Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was a character from the Old Testament. In a moment, I'll look at that. But that was his problem. He said, you're doing everything right. You're working hard, you're doing this, you're loving, you're caring, you're doing all these things, which I applaud you for. But then he says the word, you tolerate. Tolerate. You know, in other words, you allow this to take place. Even though you've got love, I know your deeds, I know your faith, I know your service, I know your perseverance. I know that you're doing more now than you've ever done. But you tolerate. And churches have to be wise here that we do not find ourselves that we're so busy, so active by the way, I'm not saying this is happening here at all, but that we can be so busy doing and involved that we do not watch a very important part of our church's witness and that is our behaviour and our doctrine. When Paul wrote to young Timothy, he said this, watch your life and your doctrine closely. You see, we need to have balance in this. There's one thing being a very active church, but if we tolerate immorality, if we tolerate behavior that is unbecoming a Christian, then we're going to find ourselves, there's going to be an inconsistency. And I know that Elam churches, we have our procedures and we have our ways in which to deal with it. And immorality is not the only area, may I say, where we can find that discipline needs to be applied. But there is procedures and there are places because we know that running along with each other, behavior and doctrine, Timothy, watch your life. Watch how you live and watch your doctrine closely because you can have the perfect theology and I don't know who has that, but whoever's got the perfect theology, if their life doesn't match up to the Christian life, what's the point? Or you could be living a very holy and spiritual life and doing all these things but if you're tolerating things that are unbiblical, things that are wrong, then you no longer have that blessing of God upon you. So, identification, he had the burning eye, blazing eyes. The commendation, service, faith. But the correction is, you've tolerated. Now, Jezebel was an actual queen back in the Old Testament. And in a moment, I'll look at that a little more closely. And may I just say that Pastor Colin has wrote a book some years ago, it's been mentioned tonight, called Satan Unmasked. And it's overcoming the Jezebel spirit. He gave these, I don't normally do this with books, but I've found my notes from Colin's Bible studies in my garage. That's where I keep my books now. I no longer have an office. And I found them, I thought, yes. So I'd like to recommend that. It's already been recommended if you want to look at the Jezebel spirit in a deeper way. For now, I'd like us to think there was something in the church that shouldn't be there that was being tolerated. And for the purposes of Thyatira, it was a woman who had either was called Jezebel, I'm not going to argue, or had the Jezebel spirit, or whose behavior was that that was likened her to the Jezebel in the Old Testament. 
And Jesus says, this is what I've got against you. you. You tolerate it. And we have a responsibility. We're not the perfect church. We never claim to be the perfect church. Never ever claim to be that. But we're trying to improve. We're trying to be more like Jesus. And the same will go for our own lives. You know, is there things in our lives that we are tolerating? We're allowing them in our lives. And we think, well, it's not that bad a thing. Well, I don't want to point the finger. I, I, I don't want to give you a list of sins. I don't want to be legalistic. But you know, it wouldn't do us any harm to spend some private time and just look to see if there are things that we are tolerating in our Christian life that we wouldn't have done. I go back to when I first became a Christian. Are there things that I tolerate now in my Christian life that I wouldn't have then? It doesn't do us any harm. And when you do discover some inconsistency, the answer is very simple. You repent, you will be forgiven, and you'll get up and you serve him, hopefully with a, a greater blessing upon your life. Well, they had some instructions after their correction. In verse 21, we are told this, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So even this person, God gave them time to repent. I'm sorry, I don't mean this to be so heavy this evening, but I have to be true to the text. I can't just pick the bits I want. If God is convicting you about your, some matter of lifestyle or whatever it might be, please repent as soon as you can. Because we learn here from this story, um, I have given her time to repent, but she is unwilling. If God is convicting you, and I'm not going to intrude into your life in that way. We have a pastoral team, of course, who will gladly speak and pray with anyone in need. But you know, friends, if we are convicted, we're convicted of the Holy Spirit for one reason, that we might repent, that we might come back to God, that we can be, be able to serve him in full force with all our vigor. So he says, I'll give her time to repent. And, um, unless she repents of her ways, there will be judgment. Those who hold her teachings, um, um, those who do not hold, in verse 25, they have to hold on to what you have till I come. So in verse 21 and 22, it's those who have tolerated. We find that we come to verse 25, hold on to what you have till I come. Do you know the Christian struggle? It is a struggle to be a Christian. I know some of you know people who have told you that if you're not in, if everything, if, if there's, let me start again. I'll tell you what, let's have a drink, shall we? Would you like to know about my knee? It's no better. Anyway, um, any struggle we are having is limited in time. It's hold on till I come. That's what he tells us to do. Now, for some of us, and for me, maybe more than you, I'm nearer the end of my life than the beginning. That's for certain. Um, you know? And um, so I may meet Jesus through death. We might meet Jesus when he returns. So whatever we face, challenges we face, and you might think, Gordon, you're being very uncaring when you say this, because... I'm not suffering at the moment. This is a, a, a bit of humour. But I know people who are. All I can say is, it's till he comes. The, the return of Jesus Christ sorts it all out. You know that, don't you? Yeah. 
the nations will be sorted out. We sit there and we watch the news and think, why? I mean, my wife so often will say, why doesn't God do something about that? And I give her a Bible study and she's still not, <laughs> no, I don't, no, I don't. But you know, it's a challenge, but it's, oh, till, hold on till I come. How long do I have to put up with this till he comes? Well, he either comes for you, you, you go with him. Everything is limited until he comes. And he's saying to this church, okay, listen, some of you aren't following this teaching. Some of you are holding on to the truth. Now, hold on till I come. Amen. Now, please, it's been a couple of thousand years, nearly, when, since this was written. But let me tell you this. You say, oh, well, it's been 2,000 years since he come. Well, let me tell you now, he's 2,000 years nearer coming than he was 2,000 years ago. Because he will come. He will come. And we need to be holding on as Christians. Okay, and then he comes with a promise. Okay, we've had the instruction. The promise is very simple. Verse 26, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end. Okay, I will give authority over the nations. So we have this. That comes from Psalm number 2, verses 8 to 9. He who does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. So at the end of each letter... There is an identification, there is a commendation, there is a correction, there is some instruction, and there is a promise. And the promise is to those who overcome. In other words, God is expecting us to come through. And when I was a young Christian, we used to go to, they used to have something called a youth rally. That's how old I am. And there was amazing how many testimonies we heard. Um, I, I gave my life to Jesus, you know, when I was this. And then I backslid. Then I came back to Jesus. And we'd all clap. Wouldn't it have been a bigger clap if you hadn't backslidden? You know, backsliding isn't compulsory, you know. You don't say, well, I went, I'm about due to cool, have a bit of a backslide. No. No, no, no. Keep holding on. Keep serving. Be an overcomer to the end. Very, very important. A couple of other little points about Thyatira on that one. First of all, it was a provincial city. In fact, the city was a little bit like the church, that it, it, were, it had seen better days. Lydia, who's mentioned the seller of purple in Acts 16.40, came from uh, this place. She was from this city, and um, we find this. In verse 18, Jesus says these words. These are the words of the Son of God. Psalm 2, 7 says this, You are my son, today I have become your father. This is a direct acknowledgement of who is speaking to them. You are my son, today I have become your father. And his eyes were like blazing fire, true discernment. I know your deeds, works. I know your love, your faith, your perseverance. You're doing more than the beginning. And again, that's in contrast to the Ephesians church in 2 verse 4 who have forsaken their first love. You see, they had vitality, but they tolerated Jezebel. Whether she was a person or a type, and there's a clue here to this person. It says there, it opens it up about Jezebel. The woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Do you know, I'm always nervous, and I know that in some cultures, this may not be as bad as I'm making it out to be. But I'm always nervous of people who want to give themselves titles. My title is, Gordon, I don't take sugar. 
Right? That's simple enough. Right? That's all you need to know about me. Now, I believe that I am a pastor teacher. Why do I believe that? Because other people have said it. I don't say it, but other people say it. Now, please don't tell me at the door whether you agree or disagree, because I'm sort of semi-retired now, it doesn't really matter what I'm called. But see, this woman says, she calls herself a prophetess. In other words, this isn't someone who has been in the church and has been acknowledged, whose life has been measured and weighed, and they've looked at how she lived and how she behaved and how she spoke, and her prophecies were weighed, and some of them were wrong. She was told, and if they were right, she was told, encouraged. No, no, no. She calls herself a prophet. I remember some time ago there was talk on the national leadership team whether we should be the apostolic leaders of the movement. I think there was about 12 of us, so it seemed to fit a little bit, didn't it? You know, and I had to say to the group, I said, look, if you, if you call yourself apostles, I have to resign. I think they were going to say, right, we'll do it then just to get rid of me. But, you know, I am not an apostle. I am not a, 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 an evangelist. I might be a pastor teacher because that's what people say. And you know, we have to be careful that we don't collect badges. Amen. We collect titles and well, I'm a this and I'm a that. Well, let me tell you, friend, if you're any of those things, we'll notice it. Amen. We'll acknowledge it. We'll invite you, not necessarily to the platform, but we'll invite you for your ministry. But we're going to look at you closely. Amen. Look at you closely in that way. So one of the lessons we learned there, of course, is that she calls herself a, um, an, a, a, a prophetess. In Ephesians 4, we have other ministries, um, which you can read about that way. And the outcome was idols and immorality. Idols and immorality. Not so much in our society, although I'm sure some could make a case for it, but in a public meeting like this, it isn't the place, and I don't think I have the, the intellectual skill to do it. But you see, meat offered to, uh, food offered to idols and immorality are both against God. Now, please, we know that in the book of Acts, that matter was dealt with by the churches at a conference, etc., etc. But at this point in time, idolatry and immorality are linked together with this Jezebel. And we need to check our lives that we don't allow idolatry to come in. What could it be? It could be a football team. Amen. I understand we actually have Arsenal supporters in this church, Scott. I'd just like to thank Scott for bringing this pulpit out. Every week, Scott lifts this pulpit up here for me. Could you give him a round of applause for doing that? <laughs> I, I feel, I just feel that he needed that, just to affirm him. He didn't bring the water. I don't trust him with the water. But he can bring the pulpit. Okay? But we need to affirm and we need to encourage. And um, other people will declare what you are. I'm looking at the time. We just um, Let me just look to, to Sardis for a moment. We find that the next letter is in chapter 3. To the angel of the church of Sardis write. This is now another letter. Now we notice that the angel, we believe, is the pastor of the church or the spiritual leader of the church, not necessarily an angelic creature, okay? 
These are the words who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's his identification. So Jesus identifies himself in this letter, holds the seven spirits and the seven stars. Now, um, a lot of interpretation for that time won't allow. Uh, I've been given plenty of time. I'm not saying I haven't got enough time. But whenever we see the word seven, we think of perfection. On the seventh day, God did what? Rested. So we have six days of creation and God rested. Now, please don't fall actually. Well, I don't believe in the six day creation. Well, that's up to you. That's fine. I'm not going to have a row with you about it. All I know is that in scripture, seven speaks of perfection. And so Christ identifies himself as having the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, acknowledging his authority and his place in the kingdom of God. And then in verse four, he comes to Sardis and he brings a commendation. It's a lovely commendation in verse four. Yet I have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. Now, the correction is going to come in just a moment, but the commendation is that in a church where some people were not walking with God, Jesus acknowledges some are. You say, well, no one knows me in this church. Well, Jesus knows you. So, well, no one get, I never get a round of applause like Scott asked for. No, sorry, Scott, was that unkind? Um, no, I'm just teasing him. He's an Arsenal supporter. So will you be kind to him? It's just, Arsenal's the strongest team in the Premiership. The hold, it's holding the rest up, aren't you? Okay, I've got to be horrible to him because who knows how long I'll be able to be horrible to him that way. But he, he comes to them and he says to them that the, com the combination is a few people who have not yet soiled their clothes. Um, I can't do any job at home without, if I'm painting, you can know what colour I'm painting because it will be on my shirt or jumper. Somewhere or another, there'll be a splash of, I don't know what the latest colour is, but you know, there'll be a splash of it. I just can't do anything. I, you know, I, a shirt, I can only wear a shirt the once, because it'll get, the rest of it, things get solid. And Paul, sorry, Jesus is now saying to this church, there's some of the church who have soiled their garments. Their behaviour has made their clothing dirty, soiled. But he says in this church in Sardis, there were some who had not in that way. Now the correction came in verse one, very simple. I know your deeds. Okay, fine. I know your deeds. You have a, re oh, here's a word. You have a reputation. Do I have a reputation? You wouldn't know it because you don't know me well enough. Do you have a reputation? You have a reputation of being alive. Wow. But you are dead. Wow. You know, there's a group here who have not sold their garments. That's their commendation. But the correction is, you have a name. You have a, a reputation that you are alive. But you are dead. People think that this church is a going place. If you lived in the area, this is the church, sadly, that people leave other churches for to join. And when they get there, they don't know what the fuss was about. You know, if you hear of a church down the road that's perfect, don't join it, will you? Because it won't be perfect after you've arrived. Stop where you are, work through your issues, and serve the Lord. Now, 
There may be times God will ask you to leave. There may be times we will ask you to leave. But until you've heard differently, stay and work it out. So the correction was they have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. But what's the answer to that? What do you do? Leave? No, no. Jesus says to them, wake up. Wake up. When I, some years ago at our conference, we had a visiting speaker called Dick Iverson from Bible Temple Church in Portland in Oregon, I think he's from. Very modest man, very quietly spoken. What a Bible teacher though. Woo! Terrific. I remember him. We, we, the guest speaker stayed in a hotel nearby and we would obviously send a car for them to bring them into the services. He'd walk every day. He'd just set off and walk and just talk to people. That, that impressed me when I was a younger man. But he said this. He said the great, and I can remember it, the greatest danger the church faces today is, and I'm thinking, oh, it's the Jezebel spirit. No. It's the, this, it's that. He said that it falls asleep. And you know, 20 years later maybe, I remember that. And here, as I'm looking at this portion of scripture again, Dick Iverson's words come back to me. Wake up. Wake up. Are you awake spiritually? Are you just drifting, oh, it's Sunday, I better go to church. I'll go in the evening because Gordon needs a bit of encouragement, you know. Oh, I'll go, but, you know, there's, oh, there's something really good on the telly tonight. That's why God invited, invented videos so you could still come to church, you know. Wake up, he says to them. Wake up, strengthen what remains. It is about to die. He's saying, listen. You know, you've a reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. But listen, there's something still there. There's something still. You might say, well, do you know, Gordon, that's me. In all these churches, it could be you, it could be me, it could be us, it could be the church in the UK, in the Western church or the Eastern church or the Middle Eastern church. It can apply in multitudes of ways. But how does it apply to us? Wake up. Wake up. Have you stopped praying? Wake up. Have you stopped reading your Bible? Wake up. Have you stopped giving? Wake up. Have you stopped forgiving people? Wake up. Because if you don't wake up, you're dead. And dead churches have the candlestick removed. Wake up, strengthen what remains. It's about to die. You know, it's so important that we do that, that we realise I know your deeds. Wake up, strengthen what remains, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. For I have not found your deeds complete. Whatever you've done is not complete. You've answered 19 out of the 20 questions. It's not complete. You've put six of the ingredients in the cake and there should be seven. It's not complete. There's something maybe in your life and in my life that's stopping it being complete. I should have left this for another week. I don't want to rush it, but important. So wake up, strengthen what remains, not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Strengthen what remains. And then in verse 3, there's a very interesting word. Wake up, strengthen what remains, for I'm not found complete. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. In other words, Sardis, you've got a name, you've got a reputation, but the goods aren't there. It's just the facade. 
just a facade, okay? But you need to wake up and strengthen what remains. And this is how you do it. Remember, therefore, what you have received, heard, and obey it, and repent. So we have those words, wake up, strengthen, remember, repent, hear, and obey. And we need to go back, if that's our spiritual condition, to the beginning, Amen. and strengthen what remains. To repent, say, Lord, I'm sorry, I've allowed my Christian life. And if a church gets into this position, the leadership need to repent and bring the church back to a place. Strengthen what remains in that very important way. And obey. It's a lovely verse in the Old Testament. I've quoted it before. It says that if I am your father, then where, I can't remember where it is, forgive me. Somebody will Google it, I'm sure. If I am your father, then where is my obedience? God says, you call me father, but you don't do what I say. You know? In this way, wake up, strengthen. And then there's a promise in verse uh, five of this story. He who overcomes will be like them, be dressed in white. So at the beginning, we've got soiled garments. You know, wake up, um, soiled garments. But now we have clean garments. Yet I have a few people in the silence who have not soiled their clothes. But if we repent, we can all receive dressed in white. And I will never blot their name out of the book of life. But we'll acknowledge the, the him, his name before my Father in heaven. And so we have hope. We have instruction, wake up. We have warning. If you don't wake up, he says in verse 3, I will come like a thief. Now this isn't a thief in the night to do with the second coming because this is dependent on their repentance. If they repent, then the judgment will be withheld. Personally, I don't think this is to do with eternal salvation, but we may not agree. We'll have to just move on. But the hope of any church is this. There's a few people who have not sold their garments. Now, we are blessed in this church that we haven't got a few people who haven't soiled their garments. We've got a few people that might have soiled their garments. I believe the heart of the church is good. As someone who has nothing to gain by what I'm saying now, I'm not after anything. I don't need a job, so I'm talking straight. As I observe, I see the servanthood and the prayer and the enthusiasm of your worship earlier. And then we've had, we've had three services already today. So many coming. You know, I think it's the other way around here. It might not be a few who haven't sold their garments, but there's a few who have. If that's you, repent. Say, Lord, I'm not where I should be with you. Will you forgive me? And he will say to you, I will, if you mean it. And they will walk with me. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy worthy not worthy they've been made worthy by Christ's blood shed upon the cross how can I speak about going to heaven how can I speak about seeing Christ when if you knew me you'd think well you're a terrible fella I am a terrible fella I'm just a forgiven terrible fella I'm seeking to be better 
I should be more like Jesus than I am for the years I've been his disciple. But at the end of the day, I'm going to never be good enough. I rely on his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And if your garments are soiled, send them to the laundrette, get them back and walk with him. And he will not blot them out. And then lastly, he says, I will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. Isn't it lovely to know that in heaven, you say, nobody knows my name down here, you know. But let me tell you, when you get to heaven, the father will already know your name. Because Jesus has already acknowledged his, his name before my father and his angels. Even the angels will know who you are. Why? Because you're Christ's because you've been forgiven. Hold on to the truth, very important. And it ends up with, and let me re say this so I get it correct. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. 